Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. someone as you're seated this morning. Just tell them how much you love him. Hallelujah. see you today. It's good to be with you all. How many of you are glad that it's Sunday and that you're in church? Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord. Let's see here. I'm not texting. I'm getting my timer out here. There we go. Got it, got it. There we go. Praise the Lord. Good to be with you this morning. Welcome. If I haven't yet met you, I'm Pastor Josh, and as my wife said earlier, it's our pleasure and our privilege to welcome you to Hope Church this morning. For those who are watching us online, welcome. Good to see you today, digitally. It's good to see you that are here today in the flesh. Um... I want to encourage us to continue to pray for our nation. You know, we, we just, if you have been living under a rock, perhaps you don't know that the Supreme Court had a ruling this week overturning Roe versus Wade, which is a decades-long uh, legislation regarding abortion at the federal level. And uh, it's caused a lot of stir in our country. And uh, I think the thing that I'm overcome with is a desire to pray and just a desire to pray and lead I believe as the church, we're called to be leaders. And uh, so I want to encourage you to pray and lead. Amen? Pray and lead. Be a voice of reconciliation. Amen? Can you say amen? Y'all awake this morning? All right, good. Just check it. Hallelujah. No, I believe, I believe we're called to lead and I believe we're called to pray. And, uh, and so I would in, in, encourage you and invite you to do both of those things, uh, especially as the, the coming weeks unfold. <laughs> We're going to continue this morning. Boy, this mic's all over the place, guys. Uh, We're going to continue this morning in our series on the book of James. Before we do that, we're going to be uh, continuing in our weekly revisiting of our core values at Hope Church. Uh, The Lord instructed me at the beginning of this series. I I didn't hear an audible voice or anything. I just had a leading in my heart that uh, throughout this entire summer that we should review and put in front of the church each Sunday, that we should start each sermon with just two or three minutes reviewing the five core values that we have as a church. And so we have five of them. You can see up here on the screen, we got some graphics that go along with this, but there are five things that we predominantly value here at Hope Church. Number one is God's word. Number two is God's presence. Number three is God's family. Number four is God's culture. And today we're going to talk about number five, which is God's character. These are the things that we value here. In fact, these are the things that we believe determine the culture and set the temperature 
uh, culturally here at our church. So number five is that we value God's character. What is God's character? Well, it's a lot of things, but we've distilled it down into a handful that are easy to remember. The first one comes from 1 Corinthians 13. You may recognize it now by these three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Good Bible school students. Well done. Um, We value that God's character is found in faith, in hope, and in love. His love for us, the scripture says, is never failing, never ending, unwavering, and it's always consistent. We believe that hope is is an earnest expectation of the future that is better than today. Amen? And we believe that without faith, we, we, we can't please God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we believe that his character is found in faith and hope and in love. We also believe that his character is displayed in grace and mercy. How many of you are thankful for grace and mercy this morning? Anybody grateful? You know, we've defined this as such. God's grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And his mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. How many of you deserve a lot less than what God has given you? All of us, right? We deserve hell, man. We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. But for the grace of God and for the mercy of God, here we stand in his family and in his presence. Isn't that good? Amen. Then finally, we believe that God's character is found in joy and in peace. Psalm 1611 says that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, that, that where God's presence goes, joy manifests in that place. And we believe the same is true about the peace of God. His peace is supposed to govern our hearts so that we are never moved, so that we are never shaken, so that we're never stirred. But praise God, we can stand in total peace and wholeness. Amen? These are the things that we find over and over and over in the Word of God that express the character of God. Faith, hope, love, grace, mercy, joy, and peace. And these are the things that define our values here at Hope Church. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. We're going to continue in our series on the book of James. Uh, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. This is week four. We're still not out of chapter one. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Amen. I felt led and compelled by the Spirit of God last week to to go back and talk some more about verse two of chapter one. How many of you have been practicing this this week of counting it all joy? Amen. Commanding your own joy. Amen. I was having a conversation with Pastor Jonathan, my pastor, yesterday, and I said, Pastor, isn't it so funny? You get up and preach about joy on Sunday and wake up depressed on Monday morning. How many of you know that the devil hates the word of God? And when, when the word of God gets put in your life and into your heart, oftentimes the enemy comes to try to get that word away. But what I've found is that if you hold your ground, if you'll stand fast, and if you'll stay rooted in what God has spoken to you, he can't win. Amen. Don't you believe that? He can't win. If you'll grab a hold, my my dad would say it like a bulldog with a bone or a pork chop. If you'll just grab down and grab a hold of God's word and refuse to step off of it and refuse to let go from it, no matter what the enemy brings your way, you'll be victorious. I had the opportunity, the great opportunity this week to count it all joy. And praise God, I did. And praise God, I wasn't moved. Hallelujah. 
I'm happier this week than I was last week. Are you? Glory to God. Amen. Oh, well, today we're going to finish chapter one and enter into chapter two, and that will get us back on our schedule that we've set out. Before we dive in, though, let's make our confession of faith, and then let's pray together, and we'll read some scripture. You can uh, follow along on the screen. Y'all heard the kids do it this morning. How, how good was that? Didn't you enjoy the children? Wasn't that fun? That was so great. Amen. They got this memorized, so if you, if, you need to, if you don't have it memorized like they do, we have the screens to help you out. But let's declare this out loud together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe that with all of our hearts. I want to read the first passage that we're going to continue with today, and then we'll pray. But it comes from James chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 21 and read down to the end of the chapter, which is verse 27. I want to encourage us all to dig in today because we've got some good things to talk about. James chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is also able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately, everybody say immediately, forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this one's religion is useless. Everybody say, ouch. Ouch. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you again for another opportunity to come before your word and to receive that which we need. Lord, this says in this passage of scripture that your implanted word is able to save our souls. So, Father, we ask for this morning, and we, we are hungry for that word which is able to save us, which is able to cleanse us, which is able to keep us pure and undefiled, which is able to strengthen us and comfort us and build us up and solidify our hearts in you. Father, I ask again that we would have eyes to see today and ears to hear, that we would have a heart that perceives and understands your word and understands also, by extension, your will. Lord, we declare that we are, in fact, growing in the things of God, and we ask for your wisdom today, that we might receive everything that you have for us, leaving nothing on the table. Lord, we're hungry today, and we thank you for your word and for your presence in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, let everyone shout, amen, Amen. hallelujah, amen, and amen. Um, Before we pick apart these verses. I started to touch on this last week, and I I tried to finish this chapter last week, and 
I just wasn't satisfied that I was done with it, so we're going to keep going in it today. The beautiful thing about being the pastor is I get to call the shots, and I have the microphone, and I also control all the series and all that kind of stuff, and so if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but uh, here we are at the end of chapter one again. Um, Before we dive into what we want to talk about today, I want to make this statement, and I want it to kind of be our approach to the rest of this study on the book of James. I hope you're enjoying this study. I hope this has been encouragement to you, and I hope that it's also been a challenge to you. Uh, James doesn't hold any punches, and he really shines a spotlight on where we're really at in our lives, Uh, and it's inescapable, but it's one of those inescapable truths that at the same time, if we'll receive it and if we'll submit our hearts to it, then what it will do is actually grow us up and actually grow us up very quickly. Amen. If you're, here's what I've discovered. If you're a receptive person spiritually, you will grow quickly. Thank you, Joe. Amen. If you're, thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the love. If, you, if you're a receptive person, you will grow quickly. God's not interested in your maturity taking 70 years. Amen. He's not. He's not interested in your maturity taking all this time. He wants you to grow now. Amen. Hallelujah. I planted tomato plants several weeks back. I'd love for them to be giving me some tomatoes right this second. It's going to take some time, but, but praise God to the person whose heart is receptive. It's not going to take you a, a whole long time for you to grow. You can start growing right away. Amen. So I want to say this, and I, again, I kind of want this to just be an overarching statement that we keep in mind as we uncover things in the book of James, and that is this, that everything that James is giving us Every verse, every word, every concept, every principle that James is giving us is deeply personal. It is deeply personal, meaning this, that the principles he's speaking to us are for the purpose of becoming a measurement for our own lives. Amen. Our own lives. Pride's a funny thing. Pride will make you think you're better than anybody in a snap. And we're going to talk today about being doers of the word. And and as we dive into this, this idea of being a doer of the word becomes a measuring stick, a standard for my own life. What I don't want you to do is take this home and start measuring all the other people in your lives. The danger of of a sermon like this today and the danger of a study like this in the book of James is that we let it become, you know, how we gauge everybody else around us and not us. Amen. I'm going to preach to you about being a doer of the word and why that's so important. And I don't want you to leave here and get in the car and think to yourself, boy, my spouse really needed to hear that. Oh, yeah, praise God. Whoo, she really needs to be a doer. He really needs to be a doer. No, you need to be a doer. Look at yourself in the mirror today. And every day that we're covering this book of James... It is a measurement, it is, it is a, a standard that is meant to be the standard in our own lives. Don't weaponize what James says and use it on the people around you. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm starting off salty. Amen. Look at verse 21. <clears throat> James turns a corner here. 
He just got done telling us about how God is immutable and unchangeable and every good and perfect gift comes down from God and it's very encouraged and very encouraging. And then he turns a corner here at verse 21. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Take a spiritual shower and receive. How do I do that, James? How do I cleanse myself of things that don't need to be there? It's very simple. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, I want to make a few comments on this, and I've got to work judiciously because we've got a lot of things to cover today. So I promise I'm not going to camp out on one thing too long. But I want to make a couple statements about verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Notice a few things. The first thing that he tells us after telling us to take a spiritual shower is that the word in our lives needs to be received. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The fruitfulness of your life is relative to the word that you receive. The fruitfulness of your life is relative to the word that you receive. I don't know about you, but I've been in church a long time, pretty much my whole life. I think there's a child screaming, but I think they're having fun. There, I've been in church a long time. I've heard a lot of sermons, tens of thousands of hours of preaching. And I can tell you that it's very possible for you to sit through church service after church service after church service and hear hours and hours and hours of the best preaching and receive none of it. It's very possible. And it's also possible for you to come, come into a church having never heard the gospel at all and receive one 10-minute exhortation and your life be completely turned around in an instant. You see, the fruitfulness, the effectiveness of your life, of God's word in your life, is not relative to the word that you hear, but it's relative to the word that you receive. It's not based on the word you hear alone, but on the word that you'll be willing to receive. You can hear the word and not receive it. So the question becomes, how do I know that I have received the word? Well, it's real simple. You'll do it. Amen. Well, I can tell this is going to be an uphill one. This is going to be an uphill message. (laughs) How do I know that I've received the word? It's really simple. You do it. You can even believe the word and not receive it. I'm telling you. Even the, even he, James goes on to tell us, even the demons believe. Big deal. Oh, you believe God? Big deal. So do the demons. You, you, you want to be leading that group? <laughs> no. You can believe and still not receive the word. How do I know that I've received it? I'm going to do it. I'm going to live it. The second thing that I want you to see about verse 21 is that the word is engrafted. In the the New King James here, it reads implanted. 
The Greek word here means to plant or to be implanted. It means to be put there on purpose. The word that God has reserved for your heart, he plants it in your heart on purpose. What does that tell me? It tells me that he has an expectation for it to produce. I mentioned to you a moment ago that we planted tomatoes several weeks ago in my yard. My family and I had a good time planting tomatoes. I didn't plant those tomatoes because I would like to look at the plants. I planted those tomatoes because I want some tomatoes. I planted them with a certain expectation that they're going to return something to me, that they're going to produce. God, when he implants the word into our minds, into our hearts... He does so with the anticipation and the expectation that we're going to produce with what he put inside of us. Amen. So the second thing to notice about this verse is that the word of God comes and it's planted in our hearts, meaning God's expecting it to produce. The third thing and final thing from this verse is that the word is able to save your what? Souls. Doesn't say spirit. I think, the word, I think the Bible is extremely intentional in the words that it uses. I don't think any words are wasted. The Bible's intentional when it says that the word is able and capable of saving our souls. What is our souls? Mind, will, and gosh, you guys are well educated. This church, y'all must have a good pastor. I don't know. What does the word soul mean? It means your mind, your will, and your emotions, your thinker, your doer, and your feeler, that part of you that, that comprises of your intellect, that comprises of your feelings, and that comprises of your will to do things. And James is pointing out to us that not only is the word able to save our spirit, we know that it's able to save our spirit, but it's also able to save our souls. You see, the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together when you got saved is the thing that came into your life and actually caused you to become a new creation on the inside. Your spirit was recreated the instant that you put your trust in Jesus. The Word of God did that. Romans chapter 10 is very clear about that. I don't have time to get into it. Just believe me. Right? <laughs> the Word is capable of saving the human spirit and turning the human spirit into a new creation. James is reminding us that not only that, but the same Word that made you a new creation on the inside will make you think like a new creation, will make you behave like a new creation, and will make you feel like a new creation. Hallelujah! The Word is able to save your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. People say, I just wish I could act like a Christian. Get in the word until you do. Yeah. Hallelujah. We move on to verse 22. I wish I had a week to talk about every single verse in James. Verse 22, this is probably one of the most important verses in the New, King, in the, uh, New Testament, certainly in the book of James. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I got news for you. If you don't do the word that you've heard, then the word's not doing anything for you. Let me say it again for those who wanted to say amen but felt like they couldn't. If you're not doing the word, the word is not doing anything for you. 
I want you to sit with that for a second. Because we have built up into our minds and into our practice this idea that if I just know a lot, I'll get where I need to go. I, uh, I reposted this from International Family Church, Pastor Jonathan and Verna's church that they planted. They posted this on their social. It said, God doesn't, moved park, God doesn't move parked cars. God doesn't move parked cars. You say, I just want God to do something in my life. Well, then start doing something that he can work with. You say, well, I just, you know, I just, um, you know, I just want some direction from God. God's not going to give you direction if you're not moving. Plain and simple. He doesn't waste words. Just touch your neighbor and say, ouch, that hurt. I told you the book of James is coming for us. Amen, I get it. The book of James is coming for us. Why? Because it wants us to grow. What's the theme of the book of James? Maturity, right? Through divine wisdom and authentic faith. I'm not here to beat you up, but, but I'm here to make it clear and make it plain, just like James is making it plain for us. If we're not doing the word, then the word's not doing anything for us. I can fully and completely mentally understand that Jesus loves me. If I don't ever act in faith on the love that he has for me, I will never experience the love that he has for me. It's plain and simple. The Bible is filled with all this kind of stuff. Jesus says to the disciples, you have not because you ask not. But God, I just really want you to do some stuff. Well, then ask him for it. Do something. Someone who hears the word without applying it to their life through doing it is someone who's self-deceived. Let's look at verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. Verse 24. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Someone who hears the word without applying it to their life through doing it is someone who is self-deceived. Their injuries are often self-inflicted because they won't do the thing that they've heard from God's word. Oftentimes, we live a life of denial of the word of God. We, we ask God for direction. He tells us what to do. We don't like what he told us to do, so we start asking him for more direction. I had this happen shortly after high school. I was in a relationship with a girl, woman, that I should not have been in a relationship with. I was fresh out of Bible college. She had two children. I wanted a family, so I wasn't intimidated by that. But she was a heathen. Heathen. She was a heathen. And she was, if I'm honest, she was crazy. <laughs> she was. Cray cray with a capital cur. And I can so remember asking God to modify his will. 
It's like we do this all the time. It's like, Lord, what do you want from me? Where do you want me to go? And he puts it right in front of your face. And you're like, hey, God, what do you want me to do? What do you think, Lord? Hey, can I date this girl? What do you think? Is this a good idea? Lord, I really want it to be your will. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. It cost me nine months of my life, and it almost cost me the call of God. cost me nine months of my life and almost cost me the will of God and the call of God. When I got out of the relationship with her, left the house that I was living in, I was off on my own for the first time, and, and, and I gave my heart back to the Lord. And I surrendered, and that's when God told me that I was called to be a pastor. It wasn't until after I got out of that crazy relationship. But here's what we do all the time. We ask God to tell us what to do, We say, Lord, what's your direction for our life? He gives us the direction. We don't like it. We stop doing, and that's exactly where we stay. And guess whose fault it is? Ours. Who are we deceived by? Ourselves. Let's let's analyze this analogy of the mirror. James says that, if we, if we are hearers only, we're like a person who looks into a mirror, sees themselves, and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. What is this meaning? Let's analyze this a little bit. A person who hears the word is equivalent to the person while they're looking at themselves in a mirror. In other words, they see clearly while they're looking. They see clearly. I mean, if I had chocolate on my face and I'm looking in a mirror, I go, oh, I got a little bit of chocolate on my face. I see it clearly. If I go away, I don't realize I got chocolate on my face. Is it too simple of an analogy? They see clearly while they're looking. It's the same way when you're hearing the word. While you're hearing it, it all makes sense. Oh, man, yeah. Oh, praise God. Revelation, yeah, I got it. And then you go away, and you don't got it anymore. Why? Because you didn't start doing it. <laughs> Do you ever, any, any fathers ever train their kids to ride a bike? You know when they get it? When they do it. They don't get it while you're telling it to them. In fact, while you're telling it to them, they're still scared. I can still remember to this day when Claire first learned how to ride her bike without training wheels. I also can remember when Abigail first learned how to ride her bike. Totally different scenarios. Totally different experiences because they're very different human beings. Claire didn't want me to take my hand off. And I was getting pretty tired of running with her. I was okay, I'm going to let go. No, 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 daddy. No, 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 no. When Abigail got it, we practiced it once. She turned and looked at me and said, I'm good, and took off riding. <laughs> totally different experiences. What's the point? You don't actually get it till you do it, but you think you got it before you do it. I heard a statement from a wise man one time. He said, the Wright brothers never had a pilot's license. Think about that. The the Wright brothers never had a pilot's license. Why not? Because there were no pilots before the Wright brothers. How did they become pilots? They did it. 
One minute they were the Wright brothers, the next minute they were the first pilots in history. What was the difference maker? Before they were on the ground, afterwards they were up in the air. Pilots. 50% of knowing something happens when you're educated. The other 50% happens when you start to do it. There's an old statement that's really wise. It says that a, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Selah. I know it hits hard, doesn't it? A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Well, I think, well, I don't care what you think, I did. They say people who, people who say it can't be done should not get in the way of the people that are busy doing it. <laughs> are you getting this? No, you're not. You'll get it when you do it. I got you. See, when you're hearing the word, you're thinking to yourself, I got it. But you really don't got it until you do it. The potency and the power of what you hear is not in the hearing alone. It's in the doing of what you have heard. This is why we can go to church. You can go to church and Christians can be in church for 30, 40 years and still struggle with the same stuff they were struggling with three decades ago. Have they heard the word? You better believe it. Are they doing it? No. That's where the freedom comes from. The word doer in verse 22 and 23 is the Greek word poietes. It's the word that we get our word poet from. And it's the Greek word which describes an actor. When James says to be a doer of the word, what is he saying? He's saying be an actor-outer of the word. Be an actor. Do it. My sister is an actor. She lives in Southern California, Los Angeles, and she's in TV commercials, and she was in a movie, and she's been in a couple TV shows now, and she's building up steam in her career. But can I tell you that she'd be a pretty lousy actor if all she did was read the script? She'd be terrible at her job, and they wouldn't pay her if all she did was read the script. It could be the best script in the world. It could be the most, it could be the most groundbreaking, you know, make movie history script in the world, but it wouldn't do a thing for her if all she did was read the script. What are they paying her to do? They're paying her to act it out. Amen. They're paying her to act it out. As a culture, we've been given more access to more knowledge than we've ever had, and yet at the same time we have the least amount of experience, perhaps, of any generation in history. I often think back to my grandparents who came here from Italy in 1951. They could do anything. My grandfather, he, 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 built, he built an addition to the, to the house that they bought. He laid concrete. He made his own wine. These people could do anything. It's like, what do we need today? Oh, my, I need new shoes. All right, let's make a pair of shoes. They could do it all. Now, if he was alive today, he probably would struggle to operate my iPhone. But 
We, we are the beneficiaries of a wealth of knowledge, yet we fall way short on experience because we bought into this lie that every one of us was told, which is that knowledge is power. It's, it's an absolute lie. It's a lie. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge is the potential for power. Knowledge is the potential for power. Action is what empowers you to succeed. The Lord spoke these words to my heart many years ago when I was in Bible college. I had the, I had the pastor's kid Bible college complex. I went to Bible college thinking, yeah, I got this. I got this figured out. Sean and I started Bible college together. Both of us pastor's kids. Yeah, we got this. I don't need to study. Come on, I've been to youth group for like 20 years. I'm good. I don't need to study. And then I got to Bible college and realized I didn't know anything. But I remember studying this passage one night in particular, reading verse 22 and verse 23 of James chapter 1, and the Spirit of God spoke it. I can just remember the moment. He said, do more and you'll hear more. Do more and you'll hear more, and then you'll do more, and then you'll hear more, and then you'll do more, and then you'll hear more, and then you'll do more, and then you'll hear more, and then you'll do more, and then you'll hear more, and round and round we go because it's a cycle. And that's how God grows us up. He tells us what to do. He expects that we do it. And as we do it, he teaches us more. He gives us more instruction. Why? Because your action is what proves your trustworthiness in the kingdom of God. God knows that if you'll do what he tells you to do, he'll be able to tell you more. Faithfulness is the key to advancement in the kingdom of God. You want to grow? Do what you've already been told. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Jesus, do you all remember when Jesus said to the disciples not to cast their pearls before swine? Why is that? Have you ever stopped to think about why that is? Was Jesus picking on pigs? I don't think so. I love barbecue. I don't think Jesus was upset with pigs when he said that. I think what he was saying was, don't take something that's precious and give it to, a, give it to someone or something that doesn't know how to, what to do with it. You see, the reason you don't give pearls to pigs is because pigs don't know what to do with pearls. They would probably try to eat it. Pig doesn't know what to do with precious things like pearls, which tells us, and the principle that Jesus was saying, is that the really valuable stuff is reserved for the people who know what to do with it. As a preacher, I've often asked myself, how come, how come my revelation doesn't stack up to such and such a preacher? Uh, oh, man, I really like the way he preaches, and I, I wish I could have that kind of insight. I wish I could understand the scriptures that way. And the Holy Spirit revealed it to my heart real quick. He's, he's preaching something that he understands what to do with, and that's why he's gotten more. That's why she's gotten more. You want to grow up quickly? Do something with what you've been given. Amen. Amen. Well, let's keep going because I don't want to beat a dead horse. Chapter 2, we got 13 verses to cover in there, but it'll go by very quickly. Y'all doing okay this morning? You're not too mad at me, are you? All right, good. I love you. 
My wife says, just a little. That's awesome. Thank you, baby. Praise the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1, James goes on to say, My brethren, do not hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Oof, golly. Partiality. My Bible says uh, uh, favoritism. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This one's going to hit hard, Brother Danny, I'm telling you. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? Do you remember, do you remember what, the, what the rich religious people in Jerusalem did to the early church? They persecuted them. They drug them into courts. They beat them. They put them in jail. James has given these guys a wake-up call. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. Boy, isn't that telling. We think we're something because we've gotten victory in one little area of our life. The reality is God's after our whole heart. He doesn't want me to get really good at praying and prophesying and showing partiality to the person that comes in the church. He says, if you do that, you're guilty of the whole thing. Ay, 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 ay. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the whole law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that amazing? Now, in these 13 verses, I got about 10 minutes left. Y'all doing okay? In these 13 verses, James is directly calling out the church. At this time, it was, it was the church in Jerusalem, and it was, remember who this letter was written to? It was written to all those Jewish Christians who'd become scattered. They were under persecution, and they, they ran every which way from Jerusalem. James is telling them to lay aside partiality and favoritism. I wonder why he was saying that. Well, contextually, obviously, he's, he's using the example of the rich man and the poor man. But if you remember our study on the book of Acts, and if you know your church history at all, you'll also remember that at this time, Miss Stephanie talked about it last week in our, in our offering scripture, at this time, 
Gentiles were getting saved. And at, at, at the time that the book of Acts was happening, especially in the first five to, five to eight chapters, uh, everybody thought that the, that the gospel was only for Jews. But it was, it was as, as the gospel left Jerusalem and as it began to grow, Gentiles were getting saved. So James is giving a warning here and saying, hey, don't show favoritism. Yeah, I know, you're God's chosen people because you're the Jews, but guess what? God's heart's for everybody. Amen. I want to tell you two things about partiality and favoritism, and then I'll let you go. Y'all doing all right? Two things about partiality and favoritism. James gives us a very straightforward warning in this passage about why partiality is detrimental to the church. Can I tell you that that partiality will ruin relationships, good, healthy, God-ordained relationships? Showing favoritism towards one and not to another is something that will cause hurt and division in the body of Christ? It will. I mean, we love to talk about how, oh, you know, it's all love, and God's just, you know, his kingdom is built and established on his love, and praise God, we're in the body of Christ, and then dis our brother and sister. Hold, our, hold this one that we don't like as much at an arm's length. I remember this growing up, especially when I was in high school. Youth groups are the worst about this kind of stuff. We get clicks. We get real clicky. If we're not careful, we'll take that into adulthood and we'll, and we'll think because we and our group got all our stuff together, these outcasts over here, they don't belong. I mean, they can come to church and we'll let them, you know, hang out with us, but I'm going to sit at a different table when it's potluck. Two things about partiality. And we'll have a healing line for everybody that's been emotionally abused this morning by my message. <laughs> Two things about partiality. Number one, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these things down. Number one, partiality is a form of manipulation. Partiality is a form of manipulation. Get this. This is super important. Partiality says, I'll be good to you. Not based on what I can give you, but based on what you can give me. That's why James uses the rich man and the poor man as examples. He doesn't, James is not over here bad-mouthing rich people. He don't care how much money you have. He just knows that most people are moved by what they see. And if somebody pulls into church parking lot this morning driving a Rolls Royce, everybody's going to be like, I'll bet they're big givers. Hey, Johnny, get these guys a cup of coffee when they come in. See if we can't get them to tithe. Partiality says that my response to you is going to be based on what I think you can do for me. And friends, that is manipulation. I'm going to make this statement that's going to sound like something out of a textbook, but just stick with me, okay? Partiality assigns value to a person based on selfish needs 
and then it calculates a behavioral response to that person based on that assigned value. Did you get it? Nope. Let's go back and do it again. Partiality assigns value to a person based on selfish needs. I'm going to value my wife because of what she gives me. I'm going to decide whether or not she's valuable in my life based on what I think she can provide me with. And then it calculates a behavioral response to that person based on the assigned value. Can I use you as an example? Imagine, listen, I got a beautiful wife. She's so beautiful. Imagine if the only thing I looked at my wife for was intimacy. What is that? Manipulation, right? Imagine if that's all that I I decide, that's all she's worth to me. It's just whatever she can provide intimately. And then, after I've made that decision about how much I value her, in this case, how little I value her, then I start to modify my behavior to ensure that she provides the thing that I've assigned to her. That's partiality. That's why James uses the rich person as the example. Well, these people got a lot of money. Well, everybody can use a little bit more money. So let me assume that what they have is what I need, and then let me go ahead and adjust how I relate to them based on what I think they, they have that I need. That's partiality, and it's total manipulation. It's absolutely carnal and has no place in the church. Thank you, baby. And you know that this is true. Because nobody does this with the people that they don't think have something that they need. The person with deep pockets comes in the church and we go, oh, they got money. Let's take good care of them. The person who's got, you know, a huge collection of uh, decorative plates comes in and we're like, weirdo. Right? Pastor, the plate lady's here again. Okay, put her in the back. It's like a person who's got a lot of cats. <laughs> right? <laughs> that weird cat lady, she's here again. What should we do? Just, you know, see if we can get her on the parking team. <laughs> but no, the movie star showed up again. And they're promising, they're promising that they're going to help our Instagram account grow by relating to us. Pastors do this crap all the time. Can I just talk real for 47 more seconds? Because that's what my phone is telling me that I have. (laughs) Pastors do this nonsense all the time. Oh, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, Dwayne Wade's going to visit the church this weekend. Oh, let's put him on the front row. Make sure the camera guy gets him. Why? It's going to boost our social profile. Maybe we'll get an extra 5,000 followers this weekend. Who the heck cares about any of that bull crap? Can I be honest? That's partiality. You know what it does? It kills the anointing. 
It destroys the presence of God in an atmosphere. But it's all right. We've gotten really good about covering that up with lights and smoke. We've gotten real good about covering stuff up with our expert programming. So I don't have to worry about offending the spirit of God. I just got to make sure I don't offend the visitor with the deep pockets. I don't have time for that. Our church doesn't have time for that. When a person comes through the door that has stage four cancer and needs to get healed, we need the anointing, not flash. We need the power of God, not a bunch of nonsense, not a bunch of favoritism. If you're a leader in any capacity, you need to guard yourself against this at all costs. Favoritism hurts you. Number one, partiality is a form of manipulation. Number two, partiality and favoritism is counterfeit honor. It's counterfeit honor. It kind of looks like honor. It kind of sounds like honor, but it's perverted. How do we know? Romans 13 verse 7 says this. We give honor to whom honor is due. What is due? When is something due? When it's owed. When it's deserved. Pastor Jonathan and Verna were here last month. We honor them. That's my pastor. That's my wife and I. That's our pastor. That's our family. We, we, when we take them to lunch, we don't go by Wendy's. We go to Bistro Roca. We tell them, order whatever you want. We get the nice stuff on the menu. Why? Because we're honoring them. Are we showing them favoritism? No. We're showing them honor because the honor is due. If partiality says, I'll be good to you, remember what I said earlier? Partiality says, I'll be good to you based on what I think you can give me. If partiality says, I'll be good to you based on what you can give me, honor says, I'll be good to you based on what you have given me. And I honor the people in my life to whom honor is due because I I can't even tell you how much these people have poured into me. I can't even quantify for you how much of the life and the goodness and the wisdom of God has been poured into me by men and women who throughout my life have, been, have nurtured me. That's honor. To, to try to crowbar and pry that out of somebody you don't know is partiality and it's manipulative. For that reason, what James is talking about is a counterfeit of what real honor looks like. The devil always wants to sell you the cheap alternative to whatever God's kingdom actually has for you. Hallelujah. If partiality says, I'll be good to you based on what you can give me, honor says, I'll be good to you based on what you have given me. This is James Subtle warning to help us keep from judging people's worth based on their performance. I find it super interesting when I read chapter 1 and chapter 2 together in their context 
that James just got done telling us about how important it is that we be doers. And then the very next verse that we're going to talk about next week is where he starts to tell us that our faith without our action is dead. He's talking about performance on both sides of this little rabbit trail that he goes down. Why? I believe it's his warning to help us keep from judging other people's worth based on what they bring to the table or based on their performance or based on what they have or don't have. It's the love of God at work because at the end of the day, no matter how a person performs, what's the very last words of this passage? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, this person didn't do whatever I thought that they should do. Well, mercy triumphs over judgment. This person, they just got fake faith. They just talk a lot, but mercy triumphs over judgment. This person manipulated me. They showed me partiality. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This person, they said that they honored me, but then when it came time to actually, you know, put some meat behind their words, they just just dishonored me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Who can I trust in the church? Who can I trust in God's kingdom? I had a leader that hurt me. I had a leader that did this to me. I had a leader that let me down. I had this person that I looked up to him so much, and then they failed miserably in the public eye. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We safeguard ourselves by learning these principles, by becoming doers of the word, by refusing partiality. And those should become the principles that guide our lives. And at the end of the day, in that pursuit of God's best, may we never forget that his mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? Aren't you glad that's one of the core values of our church? Grace and mercy, man. You need it. I need it. Everybody needs it. No matter how carnal our world gets, no matter how things transpire in our lives, you and I will always need to be givers and receivers of God's mercy. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I hope this time in the second chapter has helped you. I am committed as your pastor, my wife and I, our family, the leadership of Hope Church, we are committed not to manipulate you. We are committed to that. My wife talked about next steps. It's one of the things that's in our next steps curriculum that we talk about very openly. And that is that we're, we're always working to earn your trust. We don't believe that trust is just a given. We believe we earn trust. And so when I, read, when I read this this week, when I was investing time in this this week, I just thought to myself, Lord, I need your grace to help me to be the kind of leader that doesn't manipulate people, that doesn't show partiality, that doesn't promise the world and then give my scraps. That that doesn't tell people that I'm for them when I'm really not for them. I want to be the kind of pastor and the kind of leader that that when the rubber meets the road, who I am and who I say that I am are the same thing. That's called integrity. It's called character. Why is that so important? 
It's because you can put weight on things that have integrity. You can, th- things that have integrity, they can carry a load. The Bible, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Why is it that God's love bears the weight of so much? It's because God's love has integrity. God's love is an expression of God's immutable integrity. And as as your pastor, I want to be the kind of person, listen, I'm going to let you down. I'm just going to tell you right up front, I'm not perfect. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to forget to say hello to somebody. I'm going to forget your birthday. Now, my wife's not. My wife actually remembers every birthday of every person she's ever met. We'll be walking down the street. It's it's August 12th. Oh, that's so-and-so's anniversary. (laughs) I don't even know who that is. I, I, I say this because this is a this is a strong topic today. This idea of favoritism and its its roots and manipulation, it's strong. And I want you to understand that as your pastor and as I'm speaking on behalf of the, the executive leadership and the people that are in leadership in our church, we never, ever, ever want to manipulate you. We never, ever, ever want to show partiality to you. And we work hard to make sure that we don't. And for those times when we fail and when we fall short, though we're trying, just remember, mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.